Welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogan with the Houston Chronicle, joined today by University of Houston beat writer Joseph Duarte. It's kind of a double dip podcast that we're doing. That we also have an episode available about UH basketball. But in this episode, we're going to talk UH football and the upcoming move to the Big 12. Joseph, how are we doing today? Doing great. Getting ready for a little bit of everything coming up. March Madness, spring football. So we got a lot to talk about. So UH's inaugural Big 12 schedule came out recently, and uh, we had a lot of content about it. You uh, took a historical look at all the opponents. You also ranked the t- the games on the schedule based on the juice. Naturally, Texas was number one. I'm, I'm really not even going to argue that because really nothing else could be number one when you're getting a team at home for the first time in what would be like 22 years. And they might never play them again here at home because Texas is going to the SEC in 2024. So that is going to be quite the ticket at TDECU Stadium. And I I must emphasize that it will be at TDECU Stadium, right? No chance it gets moved to NRG Stadium or a bigger venue? Absolutely no chance. I I will bet your house on it uh, and mine. And uh, that 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 game has absolutely no chance. But yeah, you're you're right about the schedule. You know, when when I was putting together, okay, here are the the teams coming in. It was just such a a a weird change because I mean, Houston fans have have gotten used to what they played in the Conference USA for many years, and then the last ten years in the American, you get annual visits by Tulsa, Navy, Tulane. Uh, Central Florida, well, they're coming to the Big 12, but, you know, East Carolina, uh, South Florida, and it's just, uh, this is something they've been waiting for. I mean, every weekend now has the the potential to have a really, really attractive team come in. There's no more excuses for for the 24,000, 25,000 uh, attendance at games. These games should be packed and sold out, especially the first year. And you're right, that Longhorn game, uh, you better maximize that one as much as you can now because uh, barring a college football playoff game in a, in a few years or whatever, you you may never get the chance to play them again. You had a good line in a recent story that attendance has lagged in recent seasons due to mediocre on-field performances and unattractive opponents. When we look at UH home games in recent years, is this Texas game maybe their most anticipated home game since Louisville came here with Lamar Jackson the year he won the Heisman? Yeah, as far as on campus, it, that that one would be the one because I think Louisville was top top three maybe, and Houston uh, that was that was the 16 season they were coming off the Peach Bowl, and and barring a loss that they had I think a week or two before the Louisville game they were still they were still in that New Year's six hunt but yeah that one would be in terms of on campus since I've been on the beat you know Oklahoma was at NRG so that was the uh the 16 opener I mean there's really not another game that that comes close and you'd have to go way way back we're talking probably the you know like the tail end of the the Southwest Conference days but even then Houston wasn't uh, wasn't the 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 centerpiece of those games? It was the always the opponent. They it wasn't great years. Uh, so this this would have to be uh, the big the biggest one at least since Lamar Jackson. And then you have to have to go back several decades. 
you know, while we're talking about the Big 12 schedule, you were not too impressed with the Texas Tech game, ranking that the seventh most attractive out of the nine games. Do you have Red Raider fatigue after the last couple seasons? Well, I think they played four out of the last six years, so uh, it might as well have been a, a Big 12 game. Plus, they have, you know, Houston hasn't had a lot of success uh, in that game. I went uh, based on, uh, and it was also a return trip to Lubbock. Uh, but I, you know, I based it just on the fact that it, it was nothing new. I mean, you, you, you sort of had already had that one. So I, you know, I dropped it down that for me, that dropped down a few notches. Uh, but you look at the ones that I had uh, uh, in front of them, you, you had Texas, uh, you had, I think Kansas state, Baylor, TCU, those were, those were gimmies. And, you know, I even, I even put the central Florida and the Cincinnati games at the bottom just because of, uh, the familiarity. Uh, and I thought that the league should have kept some of the newcomers from having to, to to not waste those first games first year, but you know put a BYU on the schedule for Houston or or let Houston play uh, Iowa State or 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 something like that just to sort of mix it up since they're they're new or or, or have Oklahoma and Texas on the schedule for most of them. So uh, you know there was a there was a lot of uh, ways that those rankings could have gone, but I think the top five or so were pretty given uh and then you could you know with any kind of list you could you could rearrange things uh on the bottom half so we had the news last week that uh uh football season ticket holders are going to see a price increase for the move to the big 12 and the texas game is kind of an add-on it is not part of the season the standard season ticket package what is the reaction that you've gotten so far from the price hike for season tickets? Just the cost of doing business in the Big 12, or are there some people with sticker shock? Um, you know, I, I think it's the price of, of doing business. Uh, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the, the quality of opponents coming in, uh, most years you're not going to get seven games, so that's sort of played in. And, and it happened to be Texas, so that that's why – uh, they have the ability to do that. And, and, and you know what? The school should do that. If you can, you know, squeeze a little extra out. I don't think that the, the 14% across the board for the, the six games was, was too much of a sticker shock when you, when you look at the opponents that are coming in. And really, the, the price, if you're a season ticket holder and you get first dibs on, on the Texas game, I think the tickets are going to range between fifty-five and, and seventy-five dollars. So you're not—it's not a crazy. I mean, I've seen basketball games, uh, namely that Alabama game, go for t- double that and sometimes triple. So uh, you know, when that time comes, I'm sure on the secondary market they're going to be high. But right now, what they're offering, uh, I haven't had a lot of people uh, on social media uh, comment about, "Hey, they're just robbing us." I think they're—I think a lot of them were anticipating it. And we're pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as as bad as maybe it could have been, or as, it's more more expensive than it could have been. You know, an event that was a little under the radar the past couple of weeks with you know the Big Twelve schedule and stuff coming out was the traditional signing day in college football, first Wednesday of February. How do you appraise the recruiting hall that Houston got entering this first year in the Big Twelve? Well, I mean. You sort of you sort of have to break it into two because you know you have you have December now and and that's where a lot of teams do uh, a bulk of their signing and you know Houston had I believe it was two true signees for for the traditional February date 
And then they had about 10 or 11 transfer portal guys. And that that's kind of the way things are going nowadays that you fill your, your spots with the transfer guys that, that, you know, for whatever reason, looking for playing time, maybe it didn't work out at their old school. And, and you can plug those in and go a lot quicker than if you're just bringing in a, a high school guy on a O-line or D-line that you know is going to redshirt or, or not play much your first year. Uh, I thought what they did, you know, in December they got their quarterback. They got Donovan Smith, uh, who was formerly at Texas Tech. So that feels one big need. They go out and they get, I believe it was four, maybe three transfer wide receivers. So you're losing Tank Dell, and you got to find somebody that's going to at least get you some production. Uh, nowhere near what he did, but you're going to need those guys. So they feel like they're in a good position uh, in the wide receiver room. And then they went and they got a couple of uh, some high school running backs that they could plug in. But the big, the big one is you get Alton McCaskill back. He's going to be uh, good to go in the spring. He, he, there probably won't be much contact, but at some point they feel like they're going to need to see that that knee is, is sound and, and ready to go. So uh, I kind of throw him in there as the, the free agent uh, returner that you, that you get uh, for that first year. So, you know, they, we keep hearing from Dana Holgerson that they, they've got to improve uh, the roster and make it more of a big 12 power five top roster. And, and that's going to take time. It's not going to just happen with one recruiting cycle. Uh, you, you have to, uh, you know, don't, I don't know if there's a diagram that tells you exactly what uh, a power five guy looks like, but they feel like where, where the, the big difference will be, is in those second and third team guys when you have to put them in. How much of a drop off is there with that? And that's something that Houston just hasn't had a lot of of quality depth in the in the last few years. And I think that that's as much of an area that they want to target uh, than if it's going out and just getting starters. When you talk about recruiting splashes, how big a get was uh, Michael Harrison Pilot the? wide receiver from Temple High. His father, obviously Chris, played linebacker at UH in, you know, the mid 2000s. Uh, that that was that was huge. That was an absolute uh, you know, great job by by Dana Holgers and the recruiting that just to, this is that's the type of kid, you know, you go back and Ed Oliver was that first, you know, five-star guy that just could have gone anywhere. Well, these are the next, you know, high four-star, these top 100 top 200 guys that in the past just didn't didn't have Houston on the radar, whether there was ties, family ties, or whatever. They just still didn't come to Houston. And he was one that they got in early on, built the relationship, they had the connection. But he, guys like uh, Jonah Wilson from, from Duquesne, uh, you look at like a, a Parker Jenkins, uh, guys like that. Those are those are all the four star type guys that have have been the 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 residual effect of of moving to the Big Twelve. But but getting uh getting uh, Harrison Pilot was was a huge get, and he's you know he's going to fit that mold with like a Matthew Golden. You know we were talking about Matthew Golden a year ago coming in as a, a four star you know big time recruit. You know they're they're building something. And again, like we talked about, it's not going to happen overnight, but these are the ones that you have to have if you're going to come anywhere close to competing uh, in the Big 12. Is there any anecdotal evidence that 
being in the Big 12 has lifted their recruiting, you know, at, at least this first year? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how we would quantify it, but, but I mean, you do, I mean, you do have examples like the ones that we've talked about and, and those, those guys have publicly said the lure was the big 12, just like with, you know, with the basketball program, I, I asked recruits what, what sways you. And I had a, an assistant coach tell me, look, when they come in for their recruit recruitment, uh, they got to leave feeling cool you know and and with the basketball program they have the jordan brand jumpman partnership so they're going to go back to their campus they're going to they're going to have a u of h shirt that has the jumpman logo and that's cool you know uh being a a national tv and a number two team in the country that's cool you got to have that cool factor so i think a lot of things factor in uh in terms of uh what uh will will kind of you know is it the whole big 12 or is it playing on TV? Is it playing the Longhorns? You know, all that stuff all ultimately comes together. So, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I, I can tell you that it's much more now than any time that they ever had in the American. Cause I, you know, God bless them. I don't think anybody ever aspires to be in the American conference. You always want that bigger, uh, that bigger fish. You know, I don't think you would play in conference USA, uh, but that's just, you know, that's just the way things are. There's only so many spots and, and some guys do it because of, they have ties or, or they, it's a, it's the best fit for them or they want to play in their hometown. But the Big 12 has certainly uh, opened some doors and, and, and the phone has picked up uh, on calls that used to go to voicemail or, um, you know, nobody's home, you know, when they when they knock on the door. The do not call list. Um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Block. Dana Holgerson is going to be starting his fifth season as coach this fall. I mean, time just flies. If we use the DEFCON scale from the movie War Games, where DEFCON 5 is peace and prosperity, and DEFCON 1 is like, you got to be on full alert, where does the Holgerson regime stand entering the 2023 season? You know, we had this going in a really good vibe kind of way. I, I was I was <laughs> feeling, you know, chippy and you know thought hey you know let's talk about and then you just bring us down i'm sorry i'm i'm a party pooper (laughs) i i would say you know it's it's probably deaf you know if there's that one between one and two it's it's probably right there i don't know if it's quite defcon one now you look at the schedule and they play utsa to open the year and then i believe they play rice and then they get tcu and then after that, it's Sam Houston. Okay, so you, maybe you lose the TCU at home and, and you win the other ones. You're three and one. I, I think you 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 don't move. You're still in that that DefCon two area. Things are not as bad. But if they get off to a rough start, I could see this thing going full nuclear. The world is going to end on Cullen Avenue. Global thermonuclear war. <laughs> well, you know, in Independence Day, wasn't the the exit sign there for the University of Houston when they when they dropped that nuke uh, back back uh, in the old Independence Day with Will Smith? So uh, they they've been so they so they know about this and they they know how this can turn out. Uh, but I I think what happens is you know they, they certainly 
want Dana Holgerson to, to be able to turn this thing around. He's He knows how to go into the Big 12, and he's done it before at West Virginia and some of the things that have to go. But you, you're right. They're in year five, and they, they've had one really good year, that 12-win season in, in 2021. Uh, really probably could have been a 10-win team this year if some breaks went their way, but they also could have been a six-win team uh, with the way some of the games came out. So uh, this is a – it's not an exaggeration to say this is a critical year for Dana Holgerson because anything short of, you know, seven-plus wins, uh, which may be asking a lot in the first year of the Big 12, I could see them uh, – thinking about making a change and and that's just the facts and it, that would be crazy because you know they just they went out and gave him an extension last spring so it's it's not like he's just got one or two years left you know he's he's locked in until i believe 27 2027 so uh for a lot of people's sake and for the pocketbooks of of donors or or tillman fertita or whoever's going to write this one i think they they want to see a a winning product so that they don't have to think about scrapping this and, and starting all over. If you had to guesstimate a Holgerson approval rating, like, like we have with politicians, what percentage would he be at right now with his fan base? You know, you know, I don't want to take the, the chicken way and say down the middle 50, 50. Uh, I, I, it's probably a little less than 50, but I don't, I don't think there's just a, total fan base abandoning ship just yet. I, you know, I, I think there's a faction that that's not happy. And I think there Dana certainly has his core uh, group of, of, of loyalists and, and, and fans that want to see him do well. I mean, it's, he's sort of that love him or hate him type of personality. And, and I think uh, if, if maybe some of what you get, uh, in front of the cameras, wasn't there? He, he and people may react differently to him in, in a more favorable way. But he he doesn't sugarcoat things. He is brutally honest, and and I think maybe that's where uh, when you're not winning, and it sort of rubs people uh, the wrong way. So I mean, I don't. He's not in the 30s. I mean, his approval rating is probably somewhere in that 40 to 45 range. I could be wrong, though. I mean, I, I haven't done one of those Gallup polls or anything like that. So maybe that's what I'll work on uh, after the spring and, and we can we can do an informal door to door. I'll just knock door to door. Maybe you can do one of those scientific Twitter polls that Elon Musk likes to do on a, on a topic. Um, let's let's finish by talking about the state of UH facilities as the Big 12 entry nears. So where are the Cougars in terms of facility upgrades, fundraising, et cetera? Well, they've got the the Houston Rise campaign. They they launched that probably what eight months ago. Uh, Hundred and fifty million was was the goal. I've been told that it's, it's going to eventually be much more. Uh, it's, I would be surprised if it's double that. What what the goal will eventually need to be. Uh, but if we go around the campus here, you know, basketball is in good shape. They they do want to make improvements to the Guy V. Lewis development facility. So that that's from basketball at the top of the list. The Fertitta Center's in, in good shape. They've got the indoor football facility uh, set up, but they, they the, the, the number one item is the, the football operations building. And, you know, we reported maybe a month ago that originally it was about $75 million. That 
it's going to go up uh, to at least maybe 120 to 140. And that's a huge jump. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with just the state of uh, things and material and, and sort of where, what the cost of those things uh, are. But I mean, they, they are insisting that it's going to happen. It's going to be built on that West side of the, uh, the football stadium. And what will end up happening is uh, if they go with the proposal that, that, that they told me uh, you're going to have sort of a, a, a restructuring of that second deck on, on that side that will include some premium seats, some loge box type deal. Uh, and that'll bring in some extra revenue, uh, but, but that needs to happen. And then they can start doing some, some other things. You know, they have the alumni center that's uh, ultimately going to be for Olympic sports. They, they have big plans for that. Once football moves out, you know, baseball has a, a brand new, uh, facility. So, uh, you know, they, they've got to, they, you know, they're, they're entering, uh, a conference that they're going to be at the bottom and operating, excuse me, operating budget is going to be about 73 million going in. That's at the lowest. Uh, they're one of the few that's not going to have their own football, uh, building. So there, there's a lot of, of things that they need to play catch up on and they're going to have to, you know, they want to be about a hundred million, uh, within, I think, five years or maybe less uh, for the operating budget. And that just puts them, you know, seven or eighth in the, in the Big 12. So they've got to climb. The, the revenue will, will come in, uh, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. They're still going to, by 25, going to have uh, the full share coming in, which could be, you know, 40 plus million. But they're going to have to do with 17 and 18 their first couple of years. And, you know, that's still a lot more than the 7 million or so that they've been getting from the Americans. So uh, they'll have some money uh, to play around with, but they've also got a lot of fundraising and, and a lot of things that they need to, uh, to work on to, to just get into the, into the, the, the middle of the pack with, with their new peers in the big 12. Very good. Joseph Duarte, university of Houston beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. Thanks very much for your time. We'll try to catch up again when UH begins spring football for its first year in the Big 12. Thank you for listening to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. For more University of Houston coverage, please go to HoustonChronicle.com slash sports.